our minds are already made up. John 3, 1 through 17 is so dense in meaning and mystery that a thousand sermons could never fully unravel it. So I invite you this morning to open yourselves up to discover this passage anew and to allow the Spirit of God to speak to all of us today. And as I read, I encourage you to listen for what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born in you, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, How are these things possible? Jesus answered, You are a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? I assure you that, you, that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was in seminary in Dallas, my parents bought a lake house just outside of Branson, about 45 minutes from their home in Springfield, Missouri. I was anxious to see it for the first time and also to visit them but I couldn't get home until several months away for Thanksgiving. So we made plans to have the whole family celebrate Thanksgiving at the new lake house that year. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone there. Now, of course, this was before Google Maps or even MapQuest, and I had never been there before, so they had to give me really good directions to find them. And so on a cool November day, as I finished class in the late afternoon in Dallas, I began the seven-hour drive to Missouri, meaning that I wouldn't arrive until sometime after midnight. The directions were actually pretty easy. They said, once you get to the lake from Highway 76, turn left onto Highway T. You'll drive five miles down Highway T, and you won't ever turn off of it. It will eventually become a gravel road that ends right at our driveway. 
and we'll leave the garage light on for you. So at about one in the morning, I finally arrived at Highway T and the last five miles to the lake house, tired and ready to be there. It was a moonless night, which I hadn't noticed yet until I turned onto Highway T because Highway T was really dark. It was out in the country with no street lights and just the occasional porch light was still on or a pole light out by a barn as I drove. It was hilly and the road was really windy, almost comically so. You know those diamond-shaped yellow signs with the arrows that warn you when the road's about to turn left or the road's about to turn right? Well, these signs had squiggles and loop-de-loops, and I'm pretty sure one of them had an arrow that just had a knot tied straight in it. <laughs> I was really struggling not just to see the road, but to stay on the road. Not to mention that I'd been on the road for about 10 minutes now, and I still hadn't reached the end of it. And I was thinking, five miles, 10 minutes? It's been too long. Maybe I took a wrong turn somewhere. I started to question my map. I was starting to get anxious. How far should I go down the wrong road before I turn around? Because if I have to redrive all of this tonight in the dark, oh man. But I kept going, and after five more minutes and a steep descent, I finally reached the gravel road and saw the house just as they described it. I don't think I've ever been so glad to see a garage light in my life. It took me 15 minutes to go five miles because I was driving down a dark, hilly, curvy road to a place I had never been before. Want to guess how long it took me to drive the same drive in the daylight? about eight minutes. Of all the conversations and encounters Jesus is having in the Gospel of John, this story of this meeting at night with Nicodemus is the one I most identify with. It's the one that's easiest for me to imagine myself in a similar situation. Not the blind man, not the woman at the well, not Lazarus. It's Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? Well, we've already heard he's a Pharisee, a religious leader among the Jews. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, selected by his peers to a place of prominence. All we really know is that this well-connected man, for some reason, decided to open himself up to Jesus. And he came to Jesus under cover of darkness, if not with faith, at least with faithful curiosity. But Jesus was not one to simply encourage people to add a few virtues to their lives or subtract a few bad habits or multiply their efforts to build a better world. He sought nothing less than a transformation in a person's life. In other words, Nicodemus came looking for information and Jesus offered him transformation. Have you ever had that happen to you before? You came expecting one thing and instead you got something else entirely? Or maybe you've avoided something altogether because you didn't want to risk being challenged. Which brings us to the question we will ask ourselves each Sunday in Lent. What in my life, what in your life needs to be transformed by Jesus? 
I had to read a book recently that I really didn't want to take the time to read. It was for the clergy cluster group that I'm assigned to by our district superintendent. Well, had to read it is maybe a little too strong of a statement. I was strongly encouraged to read it. But the reality is more than I hope to learn something new. I read it more out of the fear that I might get caught not having read it. But I read it. And as usually happens, I learned something. The book is called Fearless Dialogues by Gregory Ellison. It's about learning to overcome our fears of those we perceive as different as us so that we can have meaningful conversation in order to create lasting transformation in our communities. There's that word again, transformation. One of the chapters is called Familiar Strangers. Familiar strangers are those people that because of our life's rhythms and traffic patterns, we encounter them over and over again. Faces that over time become recognizable because we've seen them repeatedly at the gym or at the grocery store, or they're always at Starbucks when we are, or we see them sitting at the same table every Thursday night at the restaurant we always go to. Familiar strangers even happen at work or at church. We have no other reason to know them except that our lives are connected by proximity and schedule. We see them, we remember them, but we don't engage with them. Sometimes without even knowing it, we begin to create backstories for these people, wondering what they do for a living, what their lives might be like, without ever actually stopping to meet them and find out the truth for ourselves. Maybe it's because we fear rejection. We convince ourselves that we might not be as familiar to them as they are to us. Or that they're at a different stage or age of life or of a different culture or skin color than we are. Or even that we might risk scaring them with our forwardness. You can probably think of some people like that in your life. Some familiar strangers right now. Dr. Ellison says there's a narrow window of opportunity for making contact with familiar strangers. And once we pass it, we just give up ever making contact with that person. They just forever become a familiar face in a sea of strangers. In John's Gospel, night is a symbol for the life that results when one rejects Jesus, refuses to receive him. Excuse me. And believe in him. John's gospel conveys to us that believing in Jesus means more than just reciting an affirmation of faith. We have to become more than just a familiar face in the crowd. We have to make contact. We have to be risk takers. So here's Nicodemus, late at night, knocking on Jesus' door. And Jesus opens the door and is backlit by the oil lamps in his room. And Nicodemus comes into the light, out of the darkness, at least temporarily. As I imagine the scene, Jesus looks at him expectantly. Nicodemus falls into the trap we often do when we meet someone famous. We start babbling about how great we think they are. Rabbi, 
We know that you're a teacher sent from God, for no one can do the signs you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus, not an easy mark for flattery, cuts right to the chase. I know why you're here. You want to get into the kingdom of God, don't you? Well, here's the deal. No one can see, no one can participate in, no one can experience the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, the Greek word here is anothen, and it can be translated as both born from above and born anew. Many of us are more used to the translation born again, and that's how Nicodemus heard it, and he interpreted it in the literal sense. Born again, how can anyone be born again after growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born Jesus says to Nicodemus, to Nicodemus, not an atheist or a non-believer, not a skeptic or a pagan, but to a faithful Pharisee, to a leader of the Jews, to a teacher of Israel, unless you are born from above, you will not see the kingdom of God. Out of all the possible metaphors Jesus might have chosen to describe seeing or entering the kingdom of God, he picks this one. The experience of the kingdom, he might say, is not like visiting a foreign country or entering a familiar room or reading a science fiction book. The experience of the kingdom of God is like being born. It's radical, traumatic. It's a life-changing event. Jesus seems to be saying, Nicodemus, for too long you've been trying to deliver yourself by your own efforts. You come asking about the kingdom and wondering if you've done enough to get in. I say to you that you must be born again. You must let go and trust God with this birth. Don't you think that in every generation we tend to be more like the Pharisees than we are like Jesus? We like structure more than spontaneity. We're more comfortable with law than we are with spirit. If we came to Jesus at night asking questions, they might be questions like these. Will we get into heaven? Are we, going to do what, are we going to do what's required of us? And he might say to us in the same tone of voice, you must be born again. Like Nicodemus, some of us are trying to work our way into the kingdom. We're trying to make sure that things are good between us and God. But that's not how it works. We have to let go. We have to trust And this is where John 3.16 seems to fit in. Jesus says that the one thing we can accept from the start, start is that God loves us and doesn't want any of us to perish. All we have to do to move from death to life is to believe in the Son, to trust that the Spirit will deliver us into the kingdom. So what about you? Have you been born again? Have you left an opening in your life where God can get in and still do some work? Or have you tightened up your system of belief until there's no place for anything new? Listen to what Jesus says again. The wind blows where it will and you hear the sound of it. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Listen, truly I tell you that unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Listen, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and 
the Spirit. You must be born from above. This is radical stuff Jesus is talking about. It's traumatic, life-changing, troubling stuff. It asks us to exchange our way of looking at the world for God's way. And that's not something any of us really wants to do. We like our way of looking at the world. It's familiar. It's comfortable. But if we want to have any part of the kingdom, we will have to give it up and trust that the one who gives us our spiritual birth knows what he's doing. A couple of months ago when I found out what I would be preaching today, I read through the John passage, and my first thought was a memory of a song I know based on Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. The words, Old Nicodemus, Old Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to save your soul, if you want to save your soul. It was the song we sang in the men's double quartet I was a part of in eighth grade. Now, I say the song we sang because it's the only song we ever sing. And even though we only sang one song, we sang it really, really well. We had our 15 minutes of fame at our junior high and beyond, winning contests, singing assemblies, invited to churches to sing our song. Now, I've actually mentioned the group before in a sermon because it really did open some doors for me. But I hadn't thought much about who was in the group, the individuals, their names and faces, until a month ago as I was getting home from choir rehearsal on a Sunday night. And I walked into the family room where the TV was already on, and that's when it happened. Now, the guy to my right, the other tenor one, his name was Mark. We had known each other since just the year before, meeting for the first time in junior high school. But we would actually go on to be college roommates, taking nearly every single class together in college. He's also a minister of music and worship at a church in Kentucky, and we've stayed in contact with each other all these years. The guy to my left, one of the ten or twos, was Terry. We had known each other since elementary school, and we actually ate lunch together nearly every single day from about fourth grade all the way through high school. We would lose touch with each other during college only to rediscover each other on Facebook years later. But it's the guy on the other side of Terry, the other ten or two who facilitated this walk down memory lane as I tried to remember the names of faces of everyone in the double quartet. Because on that Sunday night four weeks ago, he was up on the stage at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood accepting the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Now, I'm not saying that I had forgotten about Brad Pitt. He's nearly impossible to forget. He pops up once a week somewhere on my TV, on the cover of a magazine, some news story. I can't avoid him. But until that moment in the midst of me thinking about this sermon and the song and the singing group, the wind blew something new into my life. And now my memories from junior high school are forever transformed. It's still a picture of eight 13-year-old boys standing there singing Old Nicodemus, but now in my mind, one of them is holding an Oscar. <laughs> a shiny gold statue. We talk as if only the present and the future can be changed. We say we can't change the past, or I made my mind up about that a long time ago. 
It's too late to change now. Or the window of opportunity has passed on that. There's nothing we can do about it now. But the truth is, the past, our past, changes all the time. Something we thought was one way can in a moment forever transform. And that includes ourselves. We can be born again, born anew, born from above, however you want to say it. The way we look at things, the things we used to believe, we gain new information and insight and suddenly ignorance is erased. We grew up being taught one way and then found out that it was wrong because someone finally took a risk and corrected us. And so we find ourselves changing our minds about things we never thought we could. Finding out that maybe the world isn't as flat as we thought it was, or that the coming change won't be as awful as our fear says it will be. Richard Heitzenrader is a professor at Duke Seminary, and he literally wrote the book on John Wesley. He once said that for Wesley, grace, we've heard that word a lot, grace, is letting the Holy Spirit do what God wants done at the depths of our life. To put that in the context of today's scripture, when we give the Holy Spirit to room to do what God wants done at the depths of our lives, we are born again. Grace is God working at the parts of our being that we thought no one, nothing could get to, that nothing could change. It's what Jesus was offering Nicodemus that day in the darkened room. A chance to transform all that he thought he knew about religion, replacing it with something new. What does God want to do through the power of the Holy Spirit at the depths of our lives? What does John's Gospel say? Forgive our sins for one thing. Give us and our community the courage to live with joy and purpose for someone other than ourselves for another. And give us peace and the assurance of eternal life for yet another. Nicodemus, do you want to be born again? Come on, man. Yes or no? What are you afraid of? Maybe he's afraid that being born from above will mean losing control. And he liked control. He liked knowing who was righteous and who was a sinner. What to eat and what not to eat. With whom to associate with and whom to label unclean. To him, Jesus' comparison of being born from above with the action of the wind was probably a frightening one because the wind is unpredictable, wafting away items to which we have become attached and blowing in others we would not have chosen. If we start letting the wind of the Spirit blow through our souls, blow through our church, through our families, who knows what might be blown out and what might be blown in. Resentments and prejudices that we have cherished for decades might blow out the window. One of us may sit in church next week and sense some of our usual sorrow wafting out in the back of the sanctuary and in its place, a fresh breeze bearing hope. Or next Sunday, when we come to church, some people we don't recognize may be sitting on the back pew or standing in the shadows looking in waiting for an invitation to come into an arena of light and warmth, and we may feel our feet moving in their direction. If we say yes to the question, do you want to be born again, 
Do you want to see the kingdom of God? Are you ready to have your life transformed? Then we can't be surprised when the Spirit of God blows something new our way. Our part in the process is both the easiest and the hardest thing there is. We must believe. Believe that God can do it, but also believe that we can't. So how do we get there? Well, we set up a meeting with Jesus, and we knock on his door, and then we step out of the darkness and toward the light. Amen.